Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have a legend of a guest coming on the podcast today. It's going to be absolutely epic. This is Jada Ketley. Um, she's also sponsored by OG Fightwear, so let's do a free shout-out to them and a uh, big shout-out to OG Fightwear. Now, today is for anyone that is watching this podcast that wants to know what is it like for a female fighter living in Thailand, and specifically in the Bangtao region, and training over at Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA. So we're going to learn all about Jada's life, where she grew up, what she's all about, and what the fuck is she doing in Phuket, Thailand. Um, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell notification. I think we're almost at a million subs now, so we're crushing it. And no, we're not. Uh, I was like, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we're getting there. Um, so without further ado, let's get this par- podcast started with uh, Jada Ketley. I always struggle with the names. It's like I have like uh, mental dyslexia. Everyone struggles with my name. No, all names. <laughs> I'm like this. It's just like I'm okay until it's like on the spot. It, I feel like you get the bit of the pressure, even though you know it. Um, okay, anyways, out, that out of the way. Uh, let's just get it started. How we do on this podcast. What the fuck are you doing in Phuket? Um, I'm in Phuket, Thailand because I'm training and fighting full-time out of Bangtao Muay Thai and MMA. But actually, even before I was a fighter, I did um, live in and grow up basically in Thailand throughout my teen years. My brother was a fighter before I was, and my family sort of moved out here to support him. And uh, I didn't start fighting until I left. Thailand at 21 and the fight life just ended up bringing me back here. So you're originally from Australia. Yes. Your family moved to Thailand. When I was 14. Okay, yes. so let, let's backtrack and tell that fun part of the story. Um, again, a kind of a new way we're doing this podcast. How's the video? Oh, we're looking good there. Okay. Um, we're going to try to keep it under 40 minutes. And if the guest is good, you let us know in the comments and we bring them back and tell more to the story. Instagram, TikTok has fucked up your attention span. So all you, you, you know, you people out there, uh, we're trying to keep this for you guys. Um, so you, you grew up in Australia. You moved to Thailand in your teens. You left and then you said you're starting fighting at 21. But let's, act, let's go way back. Bring us to your childhood in Australia and connecting it to Thailand into your teens. So um, throughout my childhood, there's like no like, I mean, actually, yeah, there is. So my my family, my parents met because my dad was my mom's karate instructor. So And she did taekwondo and stuff when she was quite young. So, I mean, martial arts kind of runs in the family um, in that sense. But when my brother was about 17, a friend of his showed him, who did capoeira at the time, showed him, um, was showing him capoeira. And then they saw some Muay Thai videos together. My brother was like, oh, wow, I really want to try that. So my dad signed him up to Boonchu Gym where the legend John Wayne Parr trains. And at that time, actually, um, well, sometime in already, uh, John Wayne Parr was actually preparing for, I think it was the finals of the Contender Series, and he had to fight um, Yotsen Klai or the Contender Muay Thai. For, for the one championship. Uh, no, this was this is like 2007 or something like ah, this. So they had a, a Muay Thai TV show called uh, The Contender. Ah, I think okay, that's what it was okay. called. And it was um, for a, like a, a big tournament between all these uh, Muay Thai fighters in, in the same weight category. And Wayne had to fight uh, Yotsen Klai. I think it was in the final. And so he brought a Southpaw out called Nung Chakan to train with him. And uh, Nung met my brother and he took a real liking to my brother and saw that he trained pretty hard and he was quite, he was quite talented. And he said to my parents, hey, if you send your son to Thailand with me in two years, I'll have a champion for you. And so, uh, you know, my parents are pretty um, open-minded and very like encouraging of 
us chasing dreams and stuff. So, and my dad loves martial arts. So they sent my brother off and my dad went with my brother to see, but they went to a part of Thailand that was like no white people at all. Um, Ubonda Chitani, very, yeah, yeah, Isan, no white, especially at that time, like no white people. I think the only thing they had was a big C and it was probably no bigger than like the Tesco Lotus. That's John Wayne Parr's story. He's like one of the first to go out to Isan and literally live in a bamboo hut. Mm -hmm. Like squat toilet, everything. So um, my dad went and he really, he liked Thailand. And at that time I was kind of starting to get in a little bit of trouble. Like I was coming into my teen years. I had some like delinquent friends and I was like you know and so um my dad came back and he was like Thailand was really great but if we went there we would have to go somewhere where there's obviously like a western society as well and um I actually ended up getting expelled uh from high school in year eight and like seven or eight months of high school for fighting and uh so when I got basically expelled my parents were like yeah we need to pack up and like get her out of here and you know Daniel's over in Thailand so then my parents made the decision to just sell everything we own and um, pack up and, and move to Phuket. You're, you're still at a young age so to process you know finances and what's going on in life for anyone at that age it's hard to understand what was your parents um, um, plan for the structure and coming to Thailand just kind of let's live off the sa- savings or were they going to establish something in Thailand as well to kind of keep you guys running? So my mum was already a teacher um, and she's taught at some really, really good schools in Australia. And they knew that that was an option, like teaching English. Um, and they discovered that you can do the TEFL course, the teaching foreign language, um, quite quickly in Thailand. I think it was within a few months. So they decided to come here and they signed up for a TEFL course, um, you know, did, did that within a few months. And then they, they got jobs as teachers, actually at Kajonkiet. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was livid when we moved. I think... I didn't leave my room almost for a couple of years. And when my parents moved to Kajon- uh, started working at Kajonkiet, they took me there to go as a student. And it's like a um, Thai program, but bilingual. So they do, they have a class for the Hafis that speak English and Thai. And then they have classes for kids who just speak Thai. And I was the only foreign, like full foreigner, other than one other kid called Aaron, but he spoke, he actually spoke Thai. And uh, I was bullied like quite a bit. I hated it. I just hated it. And um, and I was at that time. I felt like I hated my parents as well. I you know I was just giving them so much attitude, and which makes me laugh now because now my mom's been like wanting me to go home to Australia, and I'm like you can't make me leave. But uh, what what year was that when you came? Two thousand and nine. We 2009, moved. Two thousand and nine. So yeah. you're just getting into your yeah. teens. You're in this foreign like 14, country, and 15. I mean, Thailand in 2009 is not like it is today no. at all, especially no. in Phuket. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- once you landed here again, you, now you're saying you're being bullied, or was it just, yeah. can you explain that a little bit more? Just the kids were not very nice mm-hmm. to me. There, there was one guy, actually, we're, we're, we're civil now. Obviously, you grow up and things change, but yeah, they just picked on me. I knew that there was like one girl who was also kind of making up rumors so that people wouldn't like me, and... Um, I think like naturally as a always growing up as a girl I've always been like the guy's girl so I've always had a lot of guy friends and I've always been a bit tomboy and the girls weren't really like that so I I have in the past had a hard time like fitting in with girl groups or you know and then the guys have usually taken me on board but in this scenario it wasn't the dynamics weren't really like that so I couldn't get really along with the girls and the guys weren't really taking me on board so I was very much just I was a loner like I would say I was a loner well I, 
I think it's an inspiring story more for parents out there living in the fucked up Western world today. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, I get messages from friends from high school of, if only I could live in Thailand and kind of do what you're doing. And I always say to them, like, you can. Yeah. Come here and teach English. Yeah. But I have kids, so. So I, I think, like, this is to anyone out there listening. Your parents were probably, what, 35, 40 when they came out here? Yeah. Uh, yep. My mom, yeah, my mom, yeah, about there. Which is a huge move. I mean, you're kind of already, you know, establishing yourself in your home country. Your kids are about to go into high school, if not already ready. Um, you know, you have your, your, your life there, your family there, and you just get up and move and, you know, fuck it. We're going to teach English. We're taking the kids. Let's start something yeah, new. Yeah, everyone said my, everyone told my parents they were crazy. Like, they were like, oh, Thailand's so dangerous. You know, what about your daughter? Like, she's just growing up. What about her social life? Like, in hindsight, it's the best thing they could have done for me. Because I think that I just would have um, maybe continued down the direction that I was going through. And despite um, my first experience at a school in Thailand, when my parents ended up getting a job at Head Start, it was just opening, which is a very big school here now. Um, it's like the next BIS, I guess. And I ended up meet going there and I met my best friend, Jan, who's still my best one of my best friends today. And that's when I started to love Phuket and my whole experience just changed. And I think growing up here is, was like one of the best gifts that my parents ever gave to me. I'm so grateful for it. It opened my mind in so many different ways because it's Thailand, but you have a lot of people from a lot of different countries. Um, I learned to speak Thai and, uh, you know, it opened my mind with food, um, just... And being exposed to yeah. not just Thai culture, but other international cultures. Yeah. And you start to realize, like me from Canada and, uh, and Australia, we're, we're very secluded, meaning like we're not Europeans. Mm -hmm. So we tend to think we're the center of the world and everything revolves around us. Until you start to leave and realize like the Western world and what we're brought up with is not the center of the world. Did, how long did that take you to kind of notice that like, you know, there, there is something else out there, especially when you first moved to Thailand. So actually my mom's from Italy, like through and through her whole bloodline's Italian. So I, I did grow up in like, I have Italian grandparents. I have traveled when I was quite young. I knew that um, from a young age, like there was, you know, more out there, but I did very much just think like, I was so stuck on the idea of like, no, my friends are all in Australia. My life is in Australia. Um, so, but when I moved here, it did take a while to adjust and, and it, it, there's different things, right? Like I remember the first time I had to use a squat toilet when we were on a visa run and it was just so, um, and we, when we came, we moved to Patong and it's, you know, it's just a yeah. shithole down there. I thought, where have my parents brought me? Especially at that time, it was even more undeveloped and, and ghetto. It's still pretty much <laughs> probably similar to what it even it is today. It's still is, yeah. a seedy cesshole. And that's what I thought all of Phuket was kind of going to be like, so... Uh, I was just devastated. But then once we got, once we ventured out of Patong and we saw other parts of, of Phuket and um, slowly I started to fall in love with it and fall in love with the culture and, and I very much love Thai people and the Sabai Sabai lifestyle and driving around on my moped at like 16, 17. It's, it's been a very, very good experience. I think I would, I would I've met a lot of people who um, have traveled and lived in other countries at young ages. And I think it just opens your mind and teaches you certain things that you're not going to learn in like school and, and things like that. Especially in Thailand with the, the freedom, there's not really restrictions. It's, it's pretty much just like, don't fuck with people and they yeah. won't fuck with you. Just here. respect That's others, it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. How, now, when your parents went back to Australia, can you talk about that part of the story? Because obviously they're not here right now. They've gone back. How did that transition work? 
the, the whole dynamics of, hey, guys, okay, now we're going back home. Why did they go back? And how are they, you know, um, integrating back into society? So this is actually a super long story, but um, in 2012, my brother was in a motorbike accident and he developed a paralyzed right arm and uh, like a lot of head trauma to, the bra to, to his head. In Thailand. Yes, in Thailand. And um, so... He was in hospital for a long time. He had to have like a lot of, there was a lot of surgery and stuff. And uh, my parents were still here. And just fast forwarding a few years, a couple of years, um, my mum and my brother ended up going back to Australia for my brother because he can get like better care there and, and, and you know, free, free government care and stuff like that. And my dad and I stayed in Thailand. Um, and then, so my parents are separated now. This happened year, like 10 years after all this, they ended up separating um, but me and my dad stayed and then I went back to Australia because I actually started kindergarten teaching for about a year. And then there was, you know, coming into 21, it's like, you got to start getting on with life. And if you're not teaching in Thailand or doing something online, there's, there's not heaps of opportunities for you as a foreigner. So my, my dad told me it was time to go home. And, uh, I went back to Australia and, uh, it wasn't, I won't say it's like, it was hard to readjust, but it is in ways like, Oh, just, you know, getting like my license and, you know, as where I've been driving here since I was 15 without a license. And I had, to, you know, just adjusting to like that standard of society and like that it is quite a lot stricter and, you know, ev everything needs to be official and there's always like do documents involved. And so um, I settled in though and uh, and then I started training just to kind of for a fitness thing. I was like 47 kilos. I was like severely really skinny, maybe borderline anorexic at that time. And um, honestly, like openly, I just smoked a lot of weed and didn't really do anything. Yeah. How did you walk into that? The Now, did you walk into a Muay Thai gym or are you kind of following the karate side from your father? No, so I went into the gym that my brother started okay. in Bunchu because we moved back to the Gold Coast where we, where we lived. And uh, I just started doing it just as a way to kind of do fitness and uh, bond with my brother a little bit. I really didn't want to fight at the time. Like it was not in any way an interest to me, but I am pretty competitive and I like do like challenges and stuff. So as I was training and I would go in and see all the fighters, they would be finishing as the beginners class would start and they just look so badass to me. And I was like, oh man, I, I want to get in the fighters class. I want to be in there so bad. So it just, that sort of started to motivate me to keep training and I had not really had nothing else to do. And slowly over time, like, I guess it's like any journey as, as you see the progress, you start to become a little bit addicted to it. So I just kept training and training and, uh, John Wayne Parr's wife, Angie Parr offered me, asked if I would like to fight. And I told her yes, but actually inside I was like terrified. I was like, no, I don't think I want to fight, you know? And, um, and that fight did fall through. It didn't, it didn't work out. I, I did the whole camp and everything. And two days before the fight, she said to me, oh, um, your opponent's pulled out. I'm really sorry. And I was like, oh no, my opponent's pulled out. But inside I was actually very relieved. And then um, that was in about November. Come that Christmas, I came back to Thailand to visit my friends. And I didn't do any of that. I just ended up at Tiger Muay Thai training twice a day. Um, and then I ended up having my first fight there. My Thai trainer, who I was training with, said, uh, oh, you're quite fit and strong. I said, yeah, I, I'd just been in camp, but my fight fell through. And he goes, oh, you should fight here. But in Thailand, you don't do amateur. There is no amateur fights. It's just 
no shin pads, no elbow pads, no headgear, small gloves, like full tie rules, five rounds. And uh, my dad, I could see the excitement on my dad's face and I didn't want to disappoint him. So I, I took the fight, although I didn't really want to. And I ended up winning by a first round TKO. And after I did that, I was like, when can I do that again? And I fought one week later. And then I've just been seven, almost eight years now. S did you settle this. in at that point? Like you made the decision you're going to stay? I, no, I, I was, I went back to Australia and uh, I asked Wayne because I was 22 already at this point, And I thought like, that's old to start being a fighter I, I in Muay Thai a lot of people retire at that age like because Thai guys fight from three four years old so they're retiring at like 21 22 years old sometimes so I'm thinking I'm way too old to have a fight career you know I'm looking at like the end of my it's so funny thinking about it now but um I asked Wayne I said do you think I would be too old to take on a, a fight career and he was like no way he's like I'm nearly 40 and I, I love fighting I still fight and um that's when I told my dad, like, hey, I think I want to do this as a real thing. And he just completely got on board with it. And he's been basically supporting me with it ever since. So at wh which age did you end up actually moving out here? I, so I was doing Muay Thai for a couple of years. And then Mark Hunt came to Bunchu to prepare for a, a UFC bout. He was there with Tai Tuivasa. And I saw them doing MMA. But I was very hardcore Muay Thai fan at the time. So I was like... MMA is not real fighting it's the dark side like that's for losers but I saw them training and I thought I saw the diversity of it when they were mixing in the grappling and, and the stand-up and the rest you know I just I was like well mm, this looks really it looks really tough and I decided I wanted to I was like oh, I want to give that a go you know I felt like I hadn't been in Muay Thai for that long but I'd actually my first year of first year and a half of Muay Thai I actually accomplished quite a lot and uh, so I was like okay I want a new challenge and I told my dad I wanted to do MMA and he told me that I should reach out to my brother's friend Don Madge who had just signed with the UFC but he was from South Africa and so I reached out to him and uh, just I just wanted some advice on it and he recommended that I go to South Africa to start MMA and six months later like I said supportive parents Six months later, I was on a plane to Johannesburg and uh, I went out there and did like a three-month stint to transition into MMA. Um, I loved it. I love South Africa. Really high-level gym as well. Um, Richie Kwan is like a phenomenal coach, the guy who had the, the coaching out there. And so I fell in love with that. And for about a year and a half, nearly two years, I was actually going back and forth between Australia and South Africa. Um, when I applied for a full-time visa there, I was denied, so they wouldn't uh, let me, they, they, yeah, basically, they didn't want me, South Africa wouldn't let me stay, and in hindsight, I think that worked out for the best, because it would have been a really rough place to stay during COVID, but um, a guy that I was training with had just left South Africa and got a job at Top Team Thailand, and when I told him about my situation, he told me he could get me a sponsorship at Top Team, and, um, and then that's when I decided to come back to Thailand, because MMA just wasn't really where I was like in my area of Australia, there's just not much of it. There was not much of it happening at that time. So uh, yeah, that's why I got on a plane mm. and came back to Thailand. And I'd already lived here. It wasn't like going somewhere brand new. I mean, I just moved to Johannesburg by myself as like a young woman. So going back to Thailand where I speak the language, I have a lot of friends. It really, it 
was not intimidating in that sense. So that's how I ended up back here. What's the, the roadmap for not just a female fighter and trying to get into MMA into Thailand? Is there some planning that goes to behind that and the sense of, okay, this year I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to get a fight. I hope that leads to a sponsorship that can lead to this promotion. Is it that structured or is it more just, I'm going to show up in Thailand. I'm just going to train. I'm hoping to get a fight. I'm hoping to get a promotion and let's take it from there. Or are you really trying to structure it well in advance? I think that depends on you as an individual. I'm sort of like just show up and see what happens kind of gal. So I did just come and, um, you know, I ended up going back to Muay Thai. I actually left MMA, went back to Muay Thai um, and didn't go back into MMA until about another year later when uh, I ended up with George and everyone at Tiger at that time. And uh, so it really depends on you. I think obviously if you can plan things and, and structure it, but you can never really know what happens, especially if you don't have connections out here or you don't know people out here, you're kind of just going to, you got to come and see what happens. But MMA is growing so much in Asia, you know, and there are a lot more opportunities. And now there's a lot of gyms that have MMA. So I think before it was kind of like a, you, you, I'm going to just give it a crack as we're now like you can definitely come out here and, and there's more promising opportunities and, and more things that you can foresee happening as we're before you were just like, if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. How, how important is the gym that you choose in terms of their network and their connections? So a place like Tiger and Bangtao clearly they're in the know. A place like Revolution, they're in the know. They know the promoters. They can get you those fights. Um, is, would that be the, the number one focus when making a decision to come actually pursue this career? Well, uh, like that's definitely got to be in like the top top three of them because you, you obviously want to bond with your coaches and you want to go somewhere where there's like good energy in the gym, where um, you know the training's legit and that and people care about you and they're going to look for you to have fights. It's easier if you're coming here for Muay Thai, right? Because your coach probably knows a promoter. Like, all the ties know all the promoters and it's super it's so easy to get a fight in that sense with mma you definitely need to be with people who have more connections because i know some guys who are in gyms where well they're really really good but there's no networking from their gym to mma promotions so they don't get those opportunities and some of them are like just trying to find fights for themselves and it's already hard enough to think about fighting and getting better and you know what you're making money outside of fighting so you definitely need like a team who have those connections mm -hmm. or but in saying that also if you're at a certain level you probably should have a manager who is also that's his job right so it doesn't matter what gym you're at or where you're training if you have a manager who can be scouting fights for you then that's fine but if you're just starting out you definitely and you don't have a manager you definitely want to be with people who can help help to find you fights but that's not your coach's job entirely what at which point do you decide okay maybe i do need a manager do you start to plan this um as you're you're you know you're you're joining these gyms or are you kind of waiting for that opportunity before deciding to take on a manager so it's definitely not something you want to rush into i think that brad riddell just actually made a really good post about this um you want to because some managers will take you for a ride. Like they'll just take advantage of you and and maybe they're really tight-knit with the promotions and they're not really looking in your best interest. It's more theirs and the promotion's best interest. So I would, it's not something you want to rush into. Um, I would say like, 
you don't go pro and then, oh, you need a manager straight away. You want to like establish yourself and then find your kind of like what your worth is as a fighter. And then maybe you know someone who has a management team and then you can like know about them and then start searching for, or sometimes managers might approach you, but it's definitely not something you want to rush into. You know, I think it's better to maybe struggle a little bit to be finding fights than to be locked in a contract with a manager who doesn't have your best interest. Yeah, and especially nowadays, you have more options of managers. I'm sure there were many snake oil salesmen back in the day that, again, their interest is how much, uh, what percentage of a commission am I getting out of you to go to this fight? Maybe they're getting money under the table to put you there, and maybe the purse you're getting isn't exactly what they tell you as well. Um, Moving forward, I want to jump more into the lifestyle of a female fighter in Bang Tao. Um, Specifically, if you're going to be moving to Phuket, Thailand, let us know a little bit if someone like yourself, you know, the, the younger Jada is moving from Australia to, to Phuket. What are some of those do's and don'ts, you know, those lessons learned that you wish you kind of knew in advance before even entering here or just shedding some life lessons for anyone out there listening that wants to move here and take on fighting as a professional career? I think like, first of all, Thailand's really safe. So a lot of people will be like, Thailand's dangerous. You need to be careful, this and that. But actually Thailand's, Obviously got its, I mean, every country has its thing, but I think Thailand's a very safe country. So it's not, that's not something you need to entirely be concerned about, but you do need to be smart, especially if you're a female going anywhere by yourself, you need to be quite smart. But I think like some things that you, is budgeting, like pre-budgeting. If you're going to come here with a savings, Thailand is, Phuket is cheap, but it's not that cheap. It can be expensive in some areas or some places or because it is cheap. Sometimes you come and you're like, oh, that's only 100 baht. That's only 10,000 baht. And you're converting it into dollars. But by the end of it, because things are cheaper, you've actually just bought a lot more of cheap things as, and, and you end up spending the same amount of money anyway. Um, I think if you can learn to like maybe downgrade in your like living style in some sense, you know, even little things like uh, I think about this all the time in Australia, when you wash your dishes, you have hot water in your sink to wash dishes. You don't have that in Thailand, right? Or um, vacuum cleaners. Like that's like a luxury in a sense. You know, I have a shitty little vacuum cleaner at home and sometimes I'm vacuuming and I'm like, wow, I feel so, (laughs) I feel so leveled up in life. But um, if you can like downgrade those expectations, right, you're not going to come here and get a huge luxurious villa for a crazy cheap price. If you want to come here and fight, and live here long term, you know, you you have to have real expectations. Maybe you start out in just a room. There are some people who have just rooms. They don't even have kitchens. Um, A room with a a bathroom. There's uh, eating, like, you can eat very cheap, but if you eat very locally. Like, if you go to, like, good restaurants and stuff, the prices aren't that different to maybe some prices in, like, Australia or definitely cheaper in some ways, but you you'll be surprised how quickly money can go when you're eating out. I mean, you can end up paying like $5, $6 for a coffee here still, um, which is what I would pay back at home, right? So I think definitely just learning like, okay, I'm going to live off street food. I'm going to just settle for a room. Um, You know, you can get your laundry done really, really cheap here. So you might lose some clothing. (laughs) Sometimes you might not get things back. You you connect well, obviously, uh, with the Thai fighters and the trainers here as well, and you consider them friends, correct? Yes. Um, I think that's a good starting point to maybe we can give like a financial breakdown. Yeah. 
to first not understand the Farang living here and what they're going to be spending, let's talk about to really strip it back and live like a real Muay Thai fighter, Not obviously not in Buriram, but in Phuket. Would you be able to break down like what is your cost per day on food? What is your, your living cost? And what does that room maybe look like? And any other extra expenses that will come up and those hidden fees such as hospital bills. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other day I had, to, I had a little infection. I had to cut out of my foot. Um, it was about 2000 baht over at, at one of the clinics, but these little things pop up that you need to be aware of because I've lived in Asia for 12 years. It's very easy to budget until you get an unexpected bill and that unexpected bill can be a dagger. Oh yeah. So, uh, the, the question is more as a friend of your friends of Thai fighters, um, living in Phuket, could you walk us through their expenses and give us like a visual representation of what that might look like? Um, so the average Thai person lives on like ten to fifteen thousand baht a month. That's nothing. Um, so, you, but they make it work, right? Like there are some people who are feeding families on that and stuff like that. So we're talking like five hundred US dollars yeah. or less. Yeah, basically. And uh, but a lot of them will cook at home. There there are local markets here where you can buy a kilo of beef for less than ten dollars. It's um, there are those those little expenses, right? Like you would talk, I, I get hit with that all the time. I had my visa fee last month and that just, you know, that sent me basically like backwards. Yeah, it could be thir- 30 to 50,000 baht, boom. It's, um, you just, if you can be realistic in the sense of, so you come here, an average day eating out, if you're eating at local Thai places, you can be spending 60 baht a meal. So maybe you're looking at like $10 a day on eating out, but also it depends on like, well, how much do you eat? If you're like a six foot, 110 kilo yeah. dude you know you're going to be eating a lot more than what the Thai portion comes out as but if you're like a wom- small woman like myself I can I can live off of that what is 60 baht like what type of meal is that so you'd get like rice always or, or noodles or something and then you get a small portion of like meat and vegetables but like a pad of, yes, or something but the portion of meat is quite small so maybe you ask for extra meat and maybe that's an extra dollar fifty or so so it's it's, it's not that much to eat out, you could be doing ten dollars. You could budget that on ten dollars a day. You can realistically get a room for like four thousand baht a month. If you really look around, like not on Facebook, if you're driving around, you're looking in, in the area. You pick the right area. You can get a room for four thousand baht a month. That's nothing. But you're gonna have a room with a bed, maybe like a half broken closet and a bathroom. No aircon. No aircon. No aircon. No aircon. People should understand aircon and elect- electricity in Phuket and Thailand is expensive. Yes. You're talking, even a room like you're talking about, you could be p- spending the same price just on the aircon. It's true. Yeah, and there are some people, I don't use aircon. I've never been um, an aircon person, so I just use a fan. I pay double the government rent for uh, rate for electricity, and I spend about 600 baht a month, which is actually nothing. Um, but I don't use, like I said, an aircon as where when I lived in a place where I, the fan wasn't enough and I did need an aircon, sometimes that was like 2,000 baht a month added to my rent already. It's, you think, well, what's, what's 100 bucks? But it's a lot. Like when you're not, especially when you're living, if you're living on a fighter wage or you've come with a savings, so there's no income, only, you know, outgoing money, those little things make a huge difference. So how, like people like yourself on these, um, this is the career, this is still, you're, you're still kind of, you know, progressing in your career and you're, you're needing to live off fighter wages. What does that mean? What is your income? Is it 
sponsorships? Is it from the fights themselves? Does it get stressful to look ahead and like, shit, how am I going to pay my bills this month? Oh, do I just need to pick up a fight? Can you walk us through the psychology behind that? So I think like one thing, if you're a Muay Thai fighter, you might fight every two weeks. And so that can, especially now you've got promotions that pay better. If you're fighting in Bangla and you're getting three, 4,000 baht, that's not really doable. But if you're fighting in Bangkok, maybe you're getting fifteen to 30,000 baht. If you do that even once a month, okay. And, and Muay Thai fights come around quite frequently. As where MMA, you might fight once every four months. And okay, so maybe you get a 500 to $1,500 being on a lower promotion, which if it's US dollars, it actually can, it, it can go quite a long way. But then you have, as a foreigner, you have expenses of insurance, of um, visas. visas. So, you know, maybe you get that $1,000, but then you're not going to get another fight for three months. So it, that isn't going to, you are like, oh my God, how am I going to make this last? Sponsorships really do help. Um, you know, now you can make heaps of money. You can make money on social media. Maybe you get like very small, multiple but small incomes right so maybe a hundred dollars here two hundred dollars there fifty dollars there um i'm really fortunate to have a supportive parents who who do help me out in in that but i know a lot of people who are out here like just making it happen by themselves you know they've come with a dream and like a few hundred dollars and now they're you know they're just hand to mouth they're just trying to make it work so and they're picking up bangla road fights every other week just yeah, to pay the bills Bangkok, yeah basically like i know people who they're injured and they're like i gotta take this fight because i need to get paid um so and you know there's a lot of ties like that like they live on that fighter's income and you know that's the thing if you come out here and you do get injured maybe you're out for six months. So like, what are you going to do then? It, it, it's, there's, it's risk and reward, right? Like maybe you come out here and you, everything happens right and you get in the UFC or you get in one championship and it's all smooth sailing, but how many, how, what's the chances of it always happening that easy, right? Um, so it can be really stressful. I, I, I've got supportive parents and I'm constantly stressing about finances mm. you know so i i really feel for those people who come out here and they're really doing it by themselves and they have all my respect because it's not, it's not easy it's doable but I, i'm not going to sit here and be like oh my god it's so easy just come here it's a dream nothing ever you know goes wrong because it can be very stressful mm. I, I have an interesting question on that note i think the audience is going to like this one but right before that we're going to do a special shout out um to our sponsor five star marine uh, Five Star Marine is a VIP um, speedboat tour that basically does private chartering for you so you can decide where you want to go uh, instead of getting stuck with the Russian Chinese tourists or even us cra crazy Canadians. You can go you know, around Phuket, Pangna, PP, and stay away from the crowd. So check them out. Link in the description, not the bio. We're on YouTube. Link in the description uh, or on Instagram at Five Star Marine Phuket. Uh, before we come back, do we need to change the battery? We're good. Okay, so we're right before we cut back. I'm gonna, uh, and again, if people are wondering, I don't pre-plan interview questions. I like to go with the flow. I want to feel like you've just met the person, and then those questions become a little bit more organic. How I tell them, very long-winded, is can be annoying, but um, I I have a question in relation to the Thai mentality living here. And they don't have another option as a fighter. And the Farang living here, they have a safety net. They can go home. 
The Thai has nowhere to go. The, the Thai person that's a Muay Thai fighter, maybe he can go back to Buriram. He'll still make money, but it's going to be a lot less. You meet so many fighters coming and going and trying to find the dream, and I'm sure a percentage of them give up or fail, and other ones push through and succeed. How you surround yourself with your network of friends um, that might also be struggling and trying to push forward. Do you need to distance yourself from the negative ones where everything is going wrong and you hear this in the background? Because I personally, I'm in the gym. I'm not going to see it in the gym, but behind closed doors in these smaller friendship circles, I'm going to assume you have your complainers, nothing's working, nothing's going right. And do you need to like decide who joins your inner circle? So that this is a very tricky question because this is one part of the Farang side, but I'm assuming the Thai side um, maybe that exists, but also they don't have other options to have the time to complain. Um, sorry, that question might be a bit confusing, but it's more along your inner circles and the difference between the Thai mentality, the Farang mentality, and distancing yourself from that negativity. I think that that's something you need to do in life in general, is like remove people like that. But you also got to know, okay, because everyone goes through a negative phase, right? I can definitely be a complainer at times. It's definitely like it's a habit I've I have to um, consciously sometimes come out of it you have to be maybe sometimes a little bit understanding of like okay is this person just a negative Nancy and are they just bringing bad vibes all the time or or are they just struggling in this moment and maybe they need a friend to listen to so I think there's knowing when to be a good friend and understanding and when okay I've really got to cut ties I think the thing is with the Thai people is they're always like so sabai sabai. Like everything's always like, yeah, it's okay. It'll be fine. It'll. I've never really met, or maybe because I don't know them deeply enough in the sense of like, but I've never really met Thai people where it's always just going going bad or things. You know, there's they're they're very um my penrai type of people. You know, like it's okay. We'll sort it out. Um, you know, they're quite chilled in that sense I think and I think because they don't oftentimes you know they they have so little but you find people who have quite little are always more grateful than people who come from a lot more you know I think westerners definitely complain a lot more about about things than the ties do but we're all human and, and I think that in their own circles you know you know that sometimes this person doesn't really like this person or they don't get along or they're like mm, I'm gonna stay away from them because you know, I just, I don't like that energy, but you definitely have to um, be watchful in that because the thing is when you're a fighter and your whole circle of friends are fighters, well, you're all kind of chasing a common goal, right? And sometimes maybe someone is ahead in that goal and someone isn't. And then it's, you know, jealousy and envy and stuff like it. everyone's human. It's normal to like kind of compare yourself to, to you know, people, whether it's in your circle, whether that it's just someone that you're seeing online. And, and it can be like that because you are all chasing um, that, that dream. And I remember listening to one woman say like, you know, the best thing you can do is actually have friends who just don't have anything that you want because that completely, you know, I have um, friends who they've got nothing to do with fighting and, you know, when I'm achieving certain things, I know that they're genuinely happy for me because there's not that sense of like, I want that as well. Or And I've dealt with it myself. I've seen people who have gotten to a stage where I really want to be there, but I'm not. And I've had to come to accept that my journey just moves at a different pace. But, you know, there's always 
me looking ahead at someone else or someone's behind me looking at me. And if you can just, uh, as where you have some people who are just happy to be on the journey and they're happy for everyone and they're happy for themselves. And, and those are the best kinds, the ones who are just cheering everybody on and cheering themselves on. But it, it can um, get in that way, right? Because you all want that one thing. And well, the ties, they're, they're very, they're, the, the sabai sabai, the my it's just, they're just very in the moment. Yes. I'm, I'm going to assume that some of the stressful situations that could ari arise as a, a fighter, um, fights falling through. You've kind of set your, okay, I got a fight in a week, uh, whether it's in, in Bangkok or, or Patong, and you know what you're probably going to get paid, and therefore you can start to budget on that fight coming in. Have you had those experiences where you lose income on fights falling through, and how do you adapt to that? Um, I literally was offered a fight uh, for India for the end of September and the, the pay was pretty good and I was like oh yeah I could really do with that and then it turns out the girl didn't want to fight me right so they'll find her another opponent and I'm not in that it can be um, especially if you're like a week out from the fight right or you know sometimes yeah that's that's probably just the worst especially you know when you're cutting weight or you know there are people who invest in their fight camps so you put money into it you know a, a fight camp is um, you're paying for privates or, you know, you're paying for recovery or there's all the, ec suddenly all these extra expenses. Which is out come. of your pocket. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, oh, you don't have a fight. And well, how are you going to compensate now for all the money that you've just spent because you're not about to make anything. And if you're not, you know, in the UFC, maybe you don't, uh, you don't get to fight, but they do try to sort of like compensate you a little bit or depending, like if your opponents missed weight, you're going to get, something from that as where if you're in a smaller promotion it's like well tough luck like you know better luck next time yeah may maybe we have a yeah. fight but at least the ufc they'll have something lined yeah. up yeah i could imagine that part would, would be quite stressful but i i feel like the thai side that just i'm assuming they're like oh well i'll get one next week oh, yeah so in muay thai it's different right? oh you can't yeah. fight your something happened to your opponent but okay tomorrow you can fight tomorrow instead and um i mean i'm not gonna lie i've been to bangla like to see fights there and, and i swear i've seen the same guy like fighting two three times in a row you know what i mean like, i think i'm bangla hopefully i don't get shot for this but I, I feel like it's there's a bit of a scam side to it not not that way meaning like maybe there's 10 fights in the night but like three or four of them like those two guys are friends that fight every night and they kind of spar and like, and they, they, like, I know, we all know what the fake Muay Thai fight is. Like the one, if you ever been to PP where they're doing, it's a hundred percent fake. Everyone knows it's fake except for the drunk tourists. It takes them a couple rounds to figure it out. They're like, holy shit. Did you see that? You're like, buddy, like anyways, but these Muay Thai fighters, you'll watch the same ones fighting each other in, in Bangla. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're kind of just sparring essentially. I'm also, I, hopefully I don't get in trouble for this. But you see a lot of first-time foreigners fighting for the first time and they win by knockout or they – here's the thing. The Thai, the Thai person showing up, you're, whether you win or lose, you're getting paid that that three, 4,000 baht, right? It doesn't matter. And sometimes, like, the foreigner, we're in there because we just want to do it. We're not thinking about three or 4,000 baht. We're there because, like, we want this experience and, you know, the foreigners always go hard and the Thai's like, I'm not getting paid enough to get seriously injured right now. So a lot of times they, I remember I leg kicked a girl once and she pretended to get knocked out and then realized halfway through the moment that it was a leg kick, not a punch to the head. 
and then came back to life and grabbed her leg to, you know, it. you see them sometimes just throw it throw it in because they're like, you know what, I'm getting the 3,000 baht, whether I win or lose. I would rather just fight for two minutes, pretend to get knocked out in the next minute and walk away with my money and then I'll come back tomorrow and probably do it again. Yeah, I've seen some questionable body kicks because yeah. we always see it on reels later. Uh, you can watch it on Instagram and it's always a... F- you know, Farang winning, maybe against a tie, and it's a very questionable body kick. Hey, all to the tie guy. He's taking his, he still maybe takes a pretty hard kick, but he's, all right, that's enough. I'm done. Thank you. Oh, yeah. But then sometimes you'll see the matchup and you see the tie guy cross, and you're like, yeah, he's probably going to just sit down. And then he goes real hard for yeah. five rounds and he just brings it. And you're like, I was not <laughs> expecting Maybe he that. had a hard day. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm just going to take it out on this foreigner. But um, not saying that, that's not to say that every fight's like that. I've seen some you know, really, really good back and forth fights. But uh, at the end of the day, they're like, yep, just take my paycheck, come back tomorrow. And, you know, if you're getting four or 5,000 baht a night, but you're doing that five, six nights a week, like that's a monthly income. For yeah, and people. they're not getting injured, mm-hmm. right? They can kind of walk away with it. Maybe they take one hard body kick. All right, we're good to go. I've, I've seen a Farang and I was friends with him and he did more boxing in Australia. So naturally he had like the right down, which is, not going to work in Muay Thai because you're going to get a head kick. Mm-hmm. And he trained not much. He trained for like a month and he was jacked. Obviously, he's on the roids. And he went in there looking huge against a skinny tie fighter. But I looked at this tie fighter. I'm like, he's going, the tie fighter is going to destroy him. And he went in and the, I remember this is six years ago. I was kind of training Muay Thai and I'm like, yeah, let's go watch. And uh, my buddy, he's going in training and the coach is like yelling at him put your hand up because the second the fight started everything went out the window he dropped back right. to a boxing stance and he went into a boxing position and the coach in the corner the tie guy's like put your fucking hand up put and the tie guy is watching him and looking at the corner like put he's even like put your hand up and then the, he gave up and just whoom head kick this guy like chicken leg ko and we all saw it happening. It was coming. And the point of that story is like, if you're a Farang showing up here and you want to just go fight a Thai guy and jump in the boxing ring, uh, sorry, the Muay Thai ring, I mean, it'd be like a Thai person showing up to Canada, stepping on the ice with me and me not putting him through the boards. Yeah. Like, just because you know how to kick and throw a punch doesn't mean you know how to, you know, uh, part- perform Muay Thai, essentially. 100%. It's, it's called Muay Thai for yeah. a reason. You know, the Thais are just... And you can't fight a Thai like a Thai fighter. You actually, you know, they always say this, like you can't go and try and fight a Thai at a Thai's pace. You know, the very like technical back and forth, like chess board style. You, you've got to go in there and often overwhelm them with like combinations and boxing and, and bring a pace quite quickly on because once they get their rhythm and it doesn't take them long to um, strategically pick you apart to see like how, you know, they can read your, they just have this IQ you just watch them and you're like, how? Oh, it, it's almost frustrating sometimes because like Westerners don't, you just, your mind doesn't take it on in that way. And that's why when you see Westerners who can fight like that um, and Savas Michaels is a, a really great example. It's so beautiful to watch when they can like fight a tie in that way. And um, because yeah, they, they do it differently. And you get things like that where guys are big or maybe a little bit roided up and they're looking at this scrawny tie guy and they're like, yeah, I'm going to smash you. And then they get a really rude awakening because there are no weigh-ins at, at Bangla in these no. stadiums. There's no weigh-ins. So sometimes there's like a 10 kilo difference, but you can never underestimate 
um, a small tie. No, I mean, a, a shin across the back of your head, it doesn't matter how big he is. You're, you're not going to be surviving that. And, yeah, I mean, I, I started to appreciate it. I was watching MMA about eight, nine years ago, maybe more than that. And you have your Brad Riddells and your Muay Thai technician. You have uh, Paul. Paul's been on this podcast. Just go watch their accounts and watch them break down technique. You will realize you know nothing. Like just not just as a more of, as a fan and just watching what they see and what they know, you're like these per people would literally murder you in the ring. Like from the outside perspective, you're just thinking like one two three one two three four. No 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 no. These guys, it's just another level. And the Muay Thai, the the actual ties that are doing the Muay Thai in Patong, they must just be they must be toying with you, especially like a new person entering. Have you ever had a fight like that where you felt like? you know, you're still green, you're still fresh and you're going against the tie and you kind of question yourself, like, what am I getting into here? No, no, I've actually, I feel like my fights have always been pretty evenly. They've matched you up. Yeah, fairly. always. Okay. I mean, I did when I went and fought, when I just got back into Muay Thai, I hadn't fought Muay Thai for a little bit, but I got back into it and I fought a girl that I think that Super Champ was hoping I would lose against and I TKO'd her in the third round. Um, so then the next matchup I had was suddenly this like three-time world champion, Saifar, and to be fair, I, the first round, I, I nearly eight counted her, but then she just came in the second round with clinch, like a strong clinch. And if you haven't clinched properly or learned how to do it, like it's a nightmare. It's like never doing jujitsu and fighting a black belt. Um, so then she just pulled me into this, this ocean of just, I was drowning. It was awful. So that's probably like the biggest thing. But even then, like I went to three rounds, I feel like the third round was pretty even once I was able to recover. But um, no, I've, I've always been in pretty even, evenly matched up fights. Yeah, especially that uh, Khalil Roundtree just had a, a fight and he is a clinch master. Yeah. And he, his performance, I was like, he didn't, he hit the guy quite flush. It was, I think it was a, was it a jab or a left hand? Right down the middle and just like, holy shit. Yeah. He's, I've been following him for years and he's such, it's a wavy fighter. Like one fight, he's out of amazing. The next fight is like, he's not there. Yeah. And then that last fight, hold, he's, he's right back in contention. Has he had some time? I feel like I hadn't seen him fight for a little while. I think about between. a year, about a year off, but now he's on a four fight win streak. He had that weird fight where he fought, uh, Iwa Kutabala, the, they call Hulk. The guy just screams. I felt like that fight, he wasn't there. And then after that, boom. Is, that's the one where he screamed in his face yes, with the lanes, right? And yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I remember seeing a video of that. Um, you know, fighting so much meant so much mentally. And the thing is you only when you're watching as like a fan or um, an observer, you don't you don't know what's going on behind you know, you see a few moments of people's lives when they fight fifteen minutes or whatever, but you don't know like the eight weeks leading up to the fight or the year they've had um, that whole year. You know, so much go. There's just so much going on, and, and it's such a mental. Um, this is you know probably one of my biggest problems is like just the mental aspect of it. Sometimes, like if you're not there in your head, even in just life in general, maybe you're going through things like that's going to one hundred percent affect you in fighting and in training, and you know. You're gonna, definitely going to carry that. Um, Speak, speaking, bo and before we end this podcast, because see, it goes an hour and I, I never I never meet. Sorry, guys, keeps rolling. Um, speaking of like the mental game, can you give us the perspective of a female fighting in a gym that's pr predominantly like, you know, uh, um, as in it's 
pretty much owned and operated by males and male fighters and male owners and male coaches. Um, how do you adapt to that? Is it difficult? Do you integrate well? Can you tell us some stories? Um, luckily, like I said earlier on in the podcast, I'm a guy's girl. I've always grown up with guy friends. I had a big brother. Um, you know, I've when you're a female athlete, you will mostly always train with males. I do have some female training partners, but my main training partners are guys. I'm really lucky though because they're great ones. They know how to... If you're a guy and you train with a girl and you don't f have this ego where like, oh, she's outclassing me, I have to now go 100% strength-wise. Like you can get really quality rounds with girls because we're a little bit faster, maybe like, you know, a little bit more scramblier. You you can still get really good training out of a female training partner. Um, obviously size, like you want to be... Sometimes I've seen some weird size matchups and I'm like, that just shouldn't be happening. But... Um, I think like one thing you have to understand is sometimes you go into an environment like that and if you're lucky, they, they don't look at you and go, oh, you're a woman and treat you differently. They might very much what, treat you like one of the boys. So, okay, maybe you're going to get like insulted a little bit or they're going to like, you know, like playful banter or, and sometimes it's always lighthearted, but I think because women, can, girls are more sensitive than guys, sometimes you take things to heart, but if you sit down at a table and you were to just observe them being with each other as guys, that's how, um, that's how the friendship is, right? It's just always like picking on each other or that's how, you know, that's how guys bond. So if you can understand that and, and you can go into the environment with that, like it's not, it's going to be a lot easier. Um, you need a bit of thick skin coming into thick the, skin. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there have been times where I've been at the table with the guys and I've been roasted and I've gone home and I'm like today was rough that was a rough day but I know I'm also the same like I give it just as much as I get it and uh also just you got to understand there are some guys who are going to look at you and be like well you're a woman you shouldn't be on the mats but that's fine like you just don't have to acknowledge them you don't have to talk to them you don't have to train with them um especially when you're coming into gyms like Bangtail there's just so many bodies to train with mm. that you can you can ignore that and uh, you know Fighting is like a male-dominated sports, but I just think there's so many females coming into it and doing really, really big things. And, you know, I find more and more with time, like I'm having more female training partners to come in, and especially being in a destination like Phuket, there are times where you have heaps of girls and there are some times where there's like none. But um, I think it just have some thick skin. Mm -hmm. Don't take things personally. Don't get frustrated when you can't beat a guy. Like I've I've realised that. I've had to put the delusion aside of like, I'm as big as them and I can take them. And do you know what? Sometimes like I'm on the losing end of a stick and I'm like, look, they're men. It, it's, it's very different, but it makes you appreciate when you have good female training partners. You're like, yeah, my God, please don't Biological different. We won't go down that shithole, right? Whatever's yeah, going on in the West and they're crying about over there now. Yeah. Um, now I, I've trained Muay Thai. I trained for about two, three years. Um, I, I, I was at Sutai on and off. Um, for me, basically what, why I stopped training is I, I'm 37 now. I guess I stopped five years ago. I was just getting so much joint pain from hitting pads where like the next day it's like I can't move my elbow. And, and it came to the point where I was kind of like, uh, this isn't, you know, this is not what I want to do. I love, I wish I could do this every time, but it's, it's quite painful. And I found a lot of the trainers, especially to males, and they'll do this even to my friends that are males training Muay Thai. If you're a Muay Thai trainer and a person like a Farang training at the gym, the Muay Thai trainers love to just call you fat all the time. They do that to girls and I've, too. <laughs> and I've seen them and like I'm like, that guy has no fat on it. So the question is more because the females maybe can be more sensitive and obviously you're not 
fat at all. But if females are coming in with a little bit of weight on them, how do you see them like adapt to those questions? Because I'm assuming the Muay Thai trainers, they'll literally go up and be like, you are fucking fat, right? Uh, and do you see the females, are, can, they, can they handle that like, like a male? Because most males would be like, oh, fuck off, I don't care. But maybe females might take that a bit differently. I've definitely seen some females struggle with that. And then I see some females who it's like water off a duck's back. I'm actually, you know, like I'm, for a girl, I'm quite buff. Like I have, I'm very small, I'm small, but I'm very muscly. And sometimes like a John will be like, oh, you're same like a man, you know? And I know he means that in a compliment. And a lot of like, I have guys tell me that they're jealous of my back a lot, which sometimes I'm like, that's a little bit strange, but um no, look, ties are brutally honest. There's not, I mean, my, I have an uncle who's pudgy. Like he's not fat, but he just has a beer belly. And ties would just walk up to him and be like, oh, like, and just rub, you know, rub his stomach. They're like, oh, good luck. You know, they, ties don't care. And if you're a halfie and you grow up with like, you'll see the difference between the way your Thai grandparents talk to you and the way your foreign grandparents talk to you. Um, but the thing is you can be, a healthy weight but because ties are naturally quite skinny they're probably going to say that you're fat or they're going to make comments about the weight. they just do it and they don't understand that it can be hurtful to girls so you've just be prepared for that and just you can either express like hey i really don't like that don't do that they're probably still going to do it um so yeah i've seen females who actually struggle with that because you don't know if someone's got like maybe previously had an eating disorder or maybe they were really fat as a kid and they got bullied or or whatever you know so um but i also know girls who just they're like yeah well, that you get used to it when you if you're especially if you're a female in a gym where it's all ties um all guys you know you you develop very very tough skin so yeah they're they're gonna call you fat even if you don't have fat like they're just gonna call it that regardless unless pretty much unless you're in like pre-fight body shape I've yeah. seen some and you're like that guy has no fat what the hell are you talking about well a lot of girls you know do get into pre-fight body shape and and it's more, it's more healthy and more natural for girls to carry more weight. Like I have a six pack most of the year, but I don't even think that's healthy. Like really for a woman to always be so lean. I'm just, even before fighting, I was very skinny. So I, I'm just a very lean person. I can eat and eat. And, you know, my struggle is not cutting weight. It's putting it back on for the fight. As well as some girls, like, you know, they train really hard and they, they do all the right things, but maybe their body does carry a little bit more weight. So Thai people are probably... You, you don't have to be fat for a Thai person to call you fat. Yeah. So don't, don't take it. Don't yeah, take don't it take, don't, Yeah, don't take it. Yeah. On, on, on that note, fatties, we are almost done. <laughs> I'm fat right now. Uh, I'll get back into training. I was doing okay last week until I got a weird infection on my foot. But All right, we're good. Um, right before we wrap this up, I want to shoot it over to this camera and jada if you can just kind of let everyone know where they can find you on social media if any sponsors want to reach out to you all your 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 contact information as well and you can stare right into their souls and let them know what to what to do um so you can find me on instagram at just jada ketley um i have just recently started a tiktok under the same name but that's still growing and uh, if you are interested in any, any sponsorship deals or anything um, you can definitely contact me. My email ad address is on my Instagram page. Um, so feel free to do that. I would love to get in collaboration with you guys. And uh, yeah, that's all. So uh, the best way, again, is go to the Instagram, to find you Instagram. on email. You can find me on all Instagram. All you creepy, weird dudes stated to the DMs. Um, no feet or, or pictures. Not. <laughs> yeah, no feet pictures. 
I think I kept mine out, cut mine out here. Okay, that ends another episode. Hope you enjoyed. We definitely did not hit our 40-minute mark, probably an hour, but hey, we tried. Um, this will, well, you're watching it, so it's aired. All right, we're out. <laughs> <laughs>